Philippians chapter 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 12 and just go to verse 16. Um, So let's dive into the Word of God. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it, that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. One more time, let's just pray over the reading of God's word this morning. Thank you again, God, for bringing us here. And thank you, Lord, for your word, that it brings life. And I pray, God, that when we leave this place, that we wouldn't just think about any music we heard or anything that was you know, said from my lips, but we would behold the beauty and majesty of Jesus Christ, our King. And so draw us closer to that, God. May we have ears to hear a heart to receive, and a willingness to do what we have heard and received. In your beautiful name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Paul has kind of left off uh, from an idea about being resurrected uh, from the dead. And so this is, this is like this connection that's happening here. And it's almost Paul is saying like, hey guys, I know this is going to be tough, right? Like we, we, we're talking about language like I'm pressing, I'm, I'm still straining. So it's kind of this idea that Paul is presenting to us that Christianity can be tough at times. Am I alone in that? Have you ever walked it through just the Christian life thinking that it was just going to be so easy and, you know, just miracles upon miracles are surrounding you? And then what happens when that doesn't happen? Like, Christianity, it's, it's tough. It's, sometimes it's what Paul describes. Uh, he has this anxiety towards the church. Like sometimes Christianity, it brings a little anxiousness to us, does it not? Sometimes the Christian, it's, you get discouraged. You kind of get off track at times. And Paul is telling us with this illustration of pressing and, and I haven't got there yet, that there's this idea that even Paul himself understood kind of what you are going through and understands what I myself am going through when he talks through the difficulties and the pressing and the, and the straining that he has to do in the Christian life. And so he connects these ideas that, hey, there's this beautiful thing awaiting, the resurrection from the dead, but he says, I haven't obtained that yet. And the idea of obtained here that Paul gives us is the idea of restraining as if a cop has restrained a criminal. He's like, I have not restrained this, but I am trying to restrain it. And he gives us this beautiful picture here. And he says, because Christ has restrained me. Do you see this here? Like, think of it like this. But I have not obtained it, but I'm pressing to obtain it. Because Christ has obtained me. Isn't that beautiful? Like, that's the gospel, by the way, right? Like, Christ in his, in his beauty, he obtains us. He grabs on to you and I. And then what we do from there is like, we reciprocate that 
back to him, like in God's love for us, his children, we love him back. Like we are obtaining to be more like him. We are, we are straining to be more like Christ. And it isn't something that we have to work towards him obtaining us, right? I would, that's, that's kind of a false idea and a, and a false doctrine that we have to obtain God's love for us. No, God obtains you. He restrains. And I love that word right there as if, as if cop Jesus has come in and arrested my heart. That's beautiful for me, right? Now, unless you've been arrested, you're like, bro, ain't nothing beautiful about being arrested. Trust me, all right? I've never been arrested, by the way. But it's like Christ's love has arrested our hearts. And we didn't do anything. It was just like, we were just sitting there, and then Christ's love just suddenly arrested and, and captured our heart. And so Paul is like, listen, because of what Christ has done, I'm going to continue to obtain what he has for me. I'm going to continue to press and strain for this, what he has for me. He's about to get into what he has for us. And he goes on and he says, so, so brothers, and, and I thought that was interesting when he wrote in, in the middle of an idea, he says, brothers, and maybe your translation uh, to be a little bit more uh, gender friendly, brothers and sisters, right? Because we know that he's also talking to some females because Lydia's there, the former demon possessed girl's there. And, and what a reputation to have. Amen? Like, you're not like the girl. You're the former demon-possessed girl, right? So, so he's like talking about these two. And so he says, brothers and sisters, right in the middle of a thought. That's odd to me because Paul rarely does that. In fact, when Paul would begin a thought, he first says brothers and sisters. But he says this in the middle of a thought, almost like he's saying, okay, guys, listen in. Like, I really need you to get what I'm about to say. It's like he's just kind of like gently taking their ears, like, man, you got to get what I'm about to say. In fact, brothers and sisters, when Paul uses this, and he uses this a lot with the church of Philippi, when he uses this, this is kind of like an intimate term that he's using. Like he really wants them to dial in about what he's about to say. I mean, there's some Judaizers coming around trying to um, mess up the gospel and, and try to infiltrate the church. He's like, now I need y'all to pay attention and listen to what I'm about to tell you. And listen to what he says. I do not consider that I've made it my own. He's saying, I'm in the middle of this fight with you guys. I'm not at the end. I'm in the middle. I do not consider that I've made it yet, but one thing I do. Again, there's that, but one. Here's what he wants you to hear. Like, listen into this. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is a metaphor Paul is using uh, that, that, that is a metaphor about the Greco-Olympian games that were taking place, not every four years, but likely every single year. And Paul is using a sports analogy. Any sports fans up in the house today? Two. All right, good. Three. Oh, hmm. This may flop then. Okay. Thanks, Paul. He's talking about racing. Any runners in the house? Two. All right. The only thing I'll run from is a, is a bad guy or a bear or like a mountain lion. I'm not running, though. I don't have knees for that. Paul's using an illustration about running, and at the end of this race, the winner of the Olympic 
race would stand before in the stadiums thousands of people and he would stand there and he would listen to their applause and like, oh, congratulations, you were the guy that won the race. And he would get a prize from Caesar or from the king or the governor who was there. He would stand there waiting for the king to give him this prize. And he says, you got to forget about some things as you are running this race. Why? Why is that? You ever seen a runner in a marathon carrying around like a 200-pound backpack? No, runners barely wear anything at all. Come on now, I know y'all have noticed it, all right? It ain't just me. I'm like, bro, bro, cover that up, all right? You know what I'm saying? Like, and they do that because they, they don't want weight on them as they are running. <laughs> I'm a weird guy if you have not noticed that already. I feel like I need to say that. Not that I'm, like, looking at runners. I just need to clarify that a little bit. Like, you need to let this weight go because in, in these Olympic races, like, you can't have weight on you as you are trying to win this race. And he's telling him, like, listen, just like those Olympic people that you're watching, Philippians, you can't, you can't carry weight on you. You can't carry your past or the things that are behind you. And what is behind? What, what does carrying behind mean for Paul? Could you imagine Paul trying to plant churches, writing letters, encouraging people if he's always thinking about his past? Do you remember Paul's past? I mean, this guy didn't have like a good record. I mean, he's a Pharisee. I mean, he knew the law. I mean, he kind of um, humble, humbly bragged about it just a few verses before. But we know Paul's story. Paul was a guy that was signing off on the orders for the persecution of the church. So I have to ask when I'm reading through this, like, what is behind? And, I, and I'm thinking, what's behind Paul? You think he would be as, I don't want to use the word successful, but we're going to use it in a, as Christianized way we can, right? But you think he could have been so successful in the mission that God gave him if he was constantly thinking about what was behind for him and his past? What's behind for you? Is it, is it sin? Is it, you know, something you've done? Is it a shame? Is it a regret? Is it, is it just baggage you won't let go of? And I don't know, maybe you're on the flip side of that. Maybe you can't forget about the sin that's been committed against you. Maybe it's the divorce. Maybe it's, maybe you were taken advantage of. What do you need to forget about? Because this baggage... And, and I'm not suggesting that you don't learn from it, because absolutely you should learn from it. But at some point, you can't live in it constantly. And I think that's the point Paul's trying to make here. That if you're constantly living in your past, constantly living with the sins that you've committed, or, or maybe the sins that's been committed against you, you're not going to make it in this race. And I understand how hard that is, right? Especially if some deep committed sin's been, you know, committed against you. But Paul's like, at some point you have to forgive and you have to move on because you're in a race right now, not in a race two years from now. You're in it now. So he goes on and he says, and I like this word, as you're running, like you're straining forward to what lies ahead. Straining means to um, exhaust 
your body to the point of collapse. I don't know if you've ever done a race or a marathon um, or a Spartan race. Anyone ever done a Spartan race before? You've heard of those? Well, let me explain to you what it is because, you know, not to humbly uh, brag, but I've done one too, uh, and only one. <laughs> and I will never do one again. You know why? Because there was a lot of straining going on, and I was wiped when I got done with that thing. And I remember thinking to myself, I will never put my body through that ever again. I mean, you want to talk about just being just completely wiped out. When I, when I read this, this Paul is just talking about this race, and you're, you're straining, and, it's, and it does give us this idea that you are straining and stretching your muscles to the point of exhaustion. I've been there in that moment, right? I've stra- now, now, here's the problem, though. When I was doing this race, uh, I think it was like early spring, so it was still a little cool up in the north uh, Georgia, so we're kind of in the hills up there. They call them mountains. They're not mountains. They're hills. These are mountains, uh, just to clarify. And so I remember it was like really chilly that morning, and I got up to a point in this this torture race, and we had to run through the creek. And, and FYI, it's creek, not crick. A crick is what you get in your neck when you're 30 years old or older, and you just turn to get the shampoo or the shower, and your body does something weird, and you suddenly have a crick. C-R-I-C-K. I was running through a creek. All right, there's your grammar lesson for the day. You can thank me later, okay? That, so I, was, I, I do this creek, and I remember getting in the creek. I'm going to say that word a lot. The creek, it was cold. And the water, it did something. To, like, it took the breath out of my lungs. The water was so cold. And I kind of sidestepped, kind of cheated. I'm okay with that. Uh, don't judge me. And I kind of cheated. Like, I was just, like, running on the ditch part of, you know, the side heel. And then I got to this guy who was crawling in the creek. And I looked over to my right, and someone was carrying his wheelchair. And I was like, oh, let me get back in the creek real quick. I'm just like, nobody saw me, like, sidestepping this thing. And I watched this guy just army crawl through this frigid creek. And I thought to myself, he's straining for the prize. I was complaining. And there's a huge difference when we're running this race. So many of us are going to spend our whole life complaining the whole time. Oh, God, why you got me in this season, you know? I just shaking your fist towards the heavens. Why can't you do anything about this, God? While others of us are on our arms and knees, army crawling, straining towards the prize. That's what straining towards, straining forward to what lies ahead. I was just complaining about what lies ahead. Like they better have me some food or something but not this guy. That's what straining is. And what is ahead? So there's, there's, there's another question that comes up. And so Paul goes on and he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he's pressing on towards this prize, and he's straining, and he's got this forward momentum towards this prize. 
so he sees that while he's running, while he's going through this, while he's straining forward, I love how uh, he writes that in there. He's not like straining forward while there's distractions and being easily distracted. No, he's got one goal in mind. He's got one prize set in mind, and he's not going to be distracted by the things that are around him. What is that goal? What is that prize? What is that, what is that upward call that he's talking about here? Let me keep going because he's going to give us an answer here. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So here's that, back to that image of the Olympian receiving this prize, and he's, he's finally met the king or the governor or whomever that he's, he's there with, and he's there to give him this prize, like, well done. You know, the prize could be two things that Paul's mentioning. The prize can be the advancement of the gospel, the gospel continuing on. For Paul, that was a prize. For Paul, that is, a, that is an upward call of God for the gospel to continue. But the prize is also that you just get Jesus in the end, that he is our prize. He is our eternal treasure that we long to be with because that's the image that he's giving us here, that this runner, this guy who's finally completed his race and he won it, he gets to meet the king and be with the king and get his reward. That's the prize that Paul is pressing towards. That's the prize that Paul is saying, listen, you've got to stay focused on that one prize. Strain towards that one prize. Run towards the one prize of Jesus Christ, the high call that he has for us. He goes on to kind of, kind of change things up a little bit. And he says, so, so let those of us who are mature, <laughs> another humble brag, right? At first, Paul was like, you know what? I'm really not there yet. I, I'm kind of like, I'm going through this mess just like you guys. In fact, let those of us who are mature think of this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, Paul commands the church to imitate those who are mature. Maturity in Christ um, is someone moving in the right direction recognizing you're not there yet, and bringing others along the journey with you. And I'll, I'll slow down. I'll say that one more time. Just three little sub points here um, before I get to my other points. Let me say that one more time. Maturity is someone who is moving in the right direction. It's someone who is moving in the right direction. And the people that you follow, you make sure that they're moving in the direction of King Jesus. That's maturity. Maturity is also recognizing that um, you're not there yet. It doesn't matter if you're 90 or you're 9. You're not there yet. I think one of the things in my life that I could probably see as as a warning flag, like, is to kind of, coast through my Christian walk, you know, with this idea and really the kind of root of that problem. And the reason why I do that is because I feel like sometimes, oh, I've arrived. I'm there. I don't know how many more years God has for me, whether that's 50 more years and I make it to 90. I pray to God that I never have this idea that I've finally arrived in my Christian walk. 
and I don't care how old you are or how young you are, you're not there yet. If Paul can say this, and he's planted quite a bit more churches than we have, and he's writing, I don't know, the Bible, I think we can also say that. We could say that when we're 80 years old. We can say that when we're 90. God help us if we're 95. I mean, you may want to live to 95, but man, at that point, I'm like, Jesus, take the wheel. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have lived it already. It doesn't matter, though. You arrive when you are with the King, Jesus, in eternity. Maturity is this idea that you ain't got there yet. Maturity is also bringing others with you on the, on the journey, right? That's why we're doing small groups. That's why I want to press on you to join one and get connected to other people. You're not going to mature in your faith like you think you are if you're trying to do this by yourself. But maturity is also like bringing other people along in the journey with you. So let me ask a few questions through this. And I, and I know I skipped over that last verse, but I'm going to get to that last. But let me just ask a few questions that uh, I had when I was reading through this, this text and when I was praying over it. And, and the first thing that I, I immediately thought of, and I, I think it's kind of a given, is what do you need to forget, right? Paul gives us this, this idea, like forgetting what is behind and I just want to ask you, and I'm going to ask myself this, like, what is that thing you need to forget? And I'm going to press on this if I can, because I think there, this can work itself out in three different ways. Like, I think we kind of get the idea, what kind of baggage, what kind of weight do I need to forget about? Like, like what kind of sin, what, what thing that I did, what regret that I have? What is that thing that I don't need to live in anymore, learn from, but just kind of move on? What is that? Because what does Paul say? Like, you forget about everything. So what does everything include? Everything just doesn't include just that one idea of you forget about your sin, nor does it indicate that you are to forget about the sins being committed to you. I think there's a third option in there, and I would suggest that you also forget about some of your successes. Man in the church is so good about this glorying in what we call, what is it called? The good old days. Relishing, like, like just wanting it to be just like it was, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Yeah, wasn't that move of God so good back in the day? Y'all remember when like people were like, it was just crazy. Yeah, I think Paul's also saying, why aren't, you need to forget about that. Why? Because all of your victories are in the past. What about the victories that maybe God wants to do in the now and tomorrow? But if you are always focused on all those victories of yesterday, you're going to miss all of the victories that God has for you in the future, God help us as a church that they, we never get to a point that we're all sitting around a campfire saying, man, those were the good old days. I just earnestly believe, and I think what Paul is saying, you're like, our, our, our best days are still ahead. You won't have clear vision 
for your life, for this church, if our vision is always clouded with what happened yesterday. You're wanting to just kind of replicate what God did 10 years ago, but God wants to do something new right now. So when I ask, what do you need to forget? I'm asking it in kind of a threefold type way. What sin do you need to forget? What, what's, what sin that's been done to you do you need to forget? And what victories do you need to forget about? And press and pursue after something new that God has for you. What do I need to forget? That's the first question. The other one is, is, comes from that idea of reaching forward with your kind of your eyes on the prize. And so my other question is, what's, what are the distractions in your life? I'm going to bomb a Greek word here, but I'll go for it anyway. The word here, reaching forward, I love it. It's like a peck tenomi. Like you got to think, what were these Greeks thinking of, right? A peck tenomi? Is that like salami or something that you put in your sandwich? What is that? But it literally means like you're stretching your muscle to its limit, and you are clearly focused on one thing. But how can we be so focused on the one single thing God has for us if we're always looking over our shoulder, looking back at our past, looking at all of these distractions that our world has for us today? I mean, can we be honest in here? Like, there's a lot of distractions in our culture. This guy knows every single thing there is to know. And I'm drawn to it, right? There are distractions everywhere. And distractions can go from technology to relationships to, I don't know what that is, but what is distracting you from that one prize that's set before you? When I was reading through this, I I was reminded of the passage when after Jesus rose from the dead, he was on the, the beach in John chapter 21. And, and Peter, God, you got to love Peter, right? Peter comes to Jesus and, you know, Jesus kind of is like, hey, Peter. <laughs> this has always been a funny passage to me. He's like, hey, you're going you're gonna to die. And you're going to be crucified. Peter's like, what? You ever thought that was weird? And Jesus is like, okay, so here's how it's going to go. Like, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Yeah, of course I love you. Okay, then you're going to die. Wouldn't that be an incredible conversation to have with Jesus? No! no that's not a, that is not an encouragement to me at all. Hey, Peter, like, you're going to be the kind of guy that's going to launch this thing. Like, you're going to be the first pastor that comes out and preaches this very super long message that's going to go on forever. And if any American were there, they'd probably already leave. But anyway, um, like you're, like you're going to preach a super long message, and people are going to come to Christ, and it's going to be amazing, and revival is going to break out. Peter, I'm going to do that through you. If you love me, feed my sheep. You're going to die. And Peter does like the classic thing. He looks around. I'm sure like it's kind of how my mind works. He looks around. He, looks, he sees John, the beloved, right? So he's an easy target because he's the favorite, right? So it's easy to go towards the favorite child. And I know everybody has a favorite child, okay? And if not, you're lying to yourself. So Jesus, or, or Peter, he looks around and he's like, hey, what about John? What about John? Is he going to die too? You know what Jesus does? He's like, what's any of your business? 
You, Peter, love me, feed my sheep. This is called for Peter, stay focused. Don't worry about what John's doing over there. I mean, he's going to write one of the craziest books of the Bible. I don't think he want to be that guy. You, Peter, you focus on what you have. Don't be distracted by others around you. The, the other question I have from this text is, and this one's for me, where do I need to mature in my life? Do I find myself constantly complaining? Am I constantly offended by everything? That's a key indicator you have some maturing to do. It's time to mature. Like, look at, look at the language Paul uses, this, this constant thing, like pursue, press, pursue, press. It's the idea, idea of being mature. And, and what we call, and a biblical term for this would be sanctification, right? Continue into the sanctification. Continuing, which just means continue in your growth in God. And again, I have to just say, like, if you, you know, whenever I get old, that's, I can't use the excuse that I've arrived yet, because I know that as long as I have breath in my lungs, and I'm not with Christ and eternity, I know there's still going to be some things in my life that I need to mature in. What do you need to mature in? You press, pursue, that's Paul's language. How do you mature? Pretty common question. Well, you mature by reading the Bible. There's a no-brainer, right? You mature by praying. You mature by, I'll do another plug, you join a small group. You mature by not doing this on your own. That's how you mature. And you never think that you are too big for your britches where you don't need to mature. So look at this last verse, and I'm going to finish up with this section here. And he says, finally, let us hold true to what we have attained. What we have attained. Remember what he said earlier? I haven't obtained it, striving to obtain it, because Christ has already obtained me. So he still understands I have obtained something. Yeah, it's Jesus Christ, the King. So he says, you know, I'm not where I was a year ago. I'm not where I was 10 years ago or five years ago. I'm, I'm, Christ is still working in me because I've already attained him. And I don't have to wait for some future event to attain him. Like, I've got him now. Like, you've come, Paul is almost just saying to these, and he's implying to him, like, listen, you know you've not obtained it, and but Christ has obtained you. But like, I need you to understand something. Like, look how far God has brought you. I mean, he's brought you so far. Philippians, why would you quit now? Refuge City, why would you quit now when Christ has brought you so far? Christ already has you now. What does God call for your life? What are you straining towards? Are you straining towards that call that he has? Are you straining towards the call of the world, the success, the, the 
higher salary paying job. Nothing wrong with that, but if that is your pursuit, I think you've, you probably need to do some soul searching. Chasing after pleasures of the world, power, sex, money, and that is your high calling that you're straining towards, Paul would probably throw some flags on you and say, you're, you're straining towards the wrong thing. What are you straining towards? What do you need to let go of? What, what, what do you need to mature in? What's, what's a distraction for you? Let me pray over this morning.